Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I am Zach, and I'm your host. And uh, man, you guys are in for such a treat today. We have an interview with Sasha Sutsarov. He is an ex-KGB agent uh, who has come to Christ, and he is uh, he's a church planner. He's, he's making pastors. He is a heck of a guy. Awesome, awesome faith story. So uh, here we go. All right, Sasha, how is it going? Uh, it's going. Uh, I got stuck in the States because they um, landed all the planes going back to Russia. Other yeah. than that, it's all good. Good. That's a good, uh, well, I mean, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a setback, but, you know, you, you'll get it figured out, right? Sure, sure. I'll, uh, I'll fly to Alaska and uh, swim over to Ibiza. <laughs> yes, I like it. So, Sasha, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, about what you do, where you live, and what you're doing there. I live in Moscow, Russia, and I run the uh, Moscow Evangelical Christian Seminary. Uh, 554 full-time and uh, 668 part-time student ministers, uh, pastors, deacons, uh, elders, uh, bishops would be our clients. Uh, we train ministers uh, for the whole of Mother Russia, Ukraine. I actually have uh, 180 Ukrainians uh, really? amongst the uh, student body. But also for Moldavia and for uh, Belarus and for Uzbekistan and for Estonia and Lithuania, basically uh, for the former Soviet Union, because the people there speak the Russian language. Yeah. Wow. You said 500 and how many now? 554 full-time and uh, 668 part-time. That's absolutely incredible. That is it's... a lot of people. <laughs> right, right, right. And so are they um, at the seminary, are, are those students, um, are they involved in separate churches kind of preaching or are they just solely there at the seminary? No, we uh, train people in ministry. We're not interested in training someone who just wants to deepen his or her faith. And uh, no. now you have to be a minister. I, no, sorry. That. Sorry, let me clarify. I mean, like while they're studying there. Are they serving in churches while studying, or is it like study then go serve in a church? Uh, they um, th there is such a thing as a residential part of the student body, mm, so okay. there are students there always. But uh, we only had uh, eighty eight beds in the dorm, so we had to uh, cut the year into pieces, uh, two week uh, long. Pieces. And so everybody has to come to the seminary on the premises uh, twice a year for uh, two weeks worth of uh, modulars. So you would have uh, two two-week slots for, uh, say, social work and Christian counseling uh, students. They would come, say, in January and in uh, uh, June. And there would be two two-week slots for youth ministers, uh, say, uh, February and July. And then you would have two two week slots for a Bachelor of Divinity students, say um, March and August. And so they come and go, come and go. And so the lower deck, uh, and of course it's all bunk beds at um, the dormitory, we keep for the residential students and the upper deck for those who come and go. And so they come, they take uh, 
took classes in the residence. Then they go back, say, to Siberia or Ukraine. And um, they take uh, three more classes online. And then they come back to more classes in residence and go back and uh, uh, three more classes online. So all in all, it, um, it uh, produces 10 classes a year. And I mean, full credit hours, like you would have at the, at the seminary. And so 10 um, classes a year is considered to be full load because on the top of that, uh, there are pastors, deacons, elders. I mean, they have their hands full sure. with the church. And so those will have uh, 550 people. But okay. there are also those who take lesser, lesser load, like two or three classes, maybe three or four. Those would be uh, part-time. And um, those we would have uh, 668. Wow. That's awesome, man. It's very... pretty big. It's bigger than life. Uh, um... Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I I'm really interested to hear your faith story um, on how you got to now. How, how did you come to Christ um, and, and what kind of sparked you wanting to make pastors? For me, it all started at an orphanage. I was raised at an orphanage. Uh, now, my mom ran it. Uh, she was the uh, medical doctor and uh, the director of uh, uh, the orphanage. And according to the legend, uh, uh, this was uh, her way of ensuring quality of treatment for all the kids at the orphanage. She would place all of her children uh, into the dairy orphanage she ran. Now, when us siblings, uh, we grew up, we kind of started the questioning that whole uh, concept all together because uh, first of all we didn't look alike and uh, second uh, we couldn't find a single picture of our mom cuddling us as a baby so we thought you know chances are our mom simply adopted us from the video from the chair she ran but we had a little meeting among the siblings at which we decided we would uh, never go for a dna test with either each other or our mom. She was our mom, and that was the end of the story. But our mom was obviously overcompensating for this orphanage experience. Uh, she made us suffer. She said that she wanted the best available education for us, and so she would make us uh, read all the classics, and I mean the works, not just a selected uh, volumes for dummies, but 22 volumes by Dostoevsky and 26 by Tolstoy and Chekhov, and then we'd do London and Dickens and Erich Marie Remarque and Gabriel Garcia Marcus and I mean everything. I, I myself read William Faulkner, six volumes by him at the age of uh, 12. Wow. And, uh, uh, and so our mom also uh, sent us to all these Russian ballet performances at the Bashu Theater, and, and, and me, she sent me to a, a music school of Moscow where I played the violin professionally for 10 years. That's awesome. And I guess I got so fed up with this uh, classical training that uh, at the age of 15, I decided I would swap my violin in for a gun. And so okay. I placed a call into the KGB's headquarters and asked them if they would make an agent out of me. And they laughed at the idea. I mean, the KGB, uh, the CIA, 
MI6, the Mossad, they all love orphans because uh, orphans don't have affiliation with the family. Their allegiance is uh, with the state. And so they said, but of course, just uh, give us uh, your uh, social security number. We get you a pass into the KGB and uh, we talk. Well, back in Russia, you get your social security at the age of uh, 16. And uh, so I didn't yet have one and I told them so. And um, they laughed so hard. It actually hurt my feelings, Raza. Um, but they said, you kiddo, uh, you grow up, get some education and call us back. Well, and that's exactly what I did. Only by that time, at the age of 17, I was uh, married to Natasha, my wife. And uh, her father just happened to be a, a KGB colonel. Um, and he pulled some strings and I got on uh, active duty. Was a happy camper too. I mean, it was the KGB which um, executed two hundred thousand um, ministers in Russia and uh, demolished forty thousand churches in Russia over the span of uh, what we call seventy years of communist captivity. They started in uh, nineteen seventeen with the Bolshevik revolution and then ended in 1987 with Gorbachev's perestroika. Uh, so during that time, 200,000 ministers executed, 40,000 churches uh, demolished. But I could be careless. Uh, my nickname with KGB was Tin Man. Remember that uh, character from the Wizard of Oz story? Yeah. Well, yeah. guess what? Had no heart. Exactly, and heartless I was. So besides, they uh, paid me. Uh, some five times better than uh, a national average. I mean, for you to uh, recall a glimpse of just how it felt, multiply whatever you're getting as your salary investment or whatever, uh, and uh, and uh, multiply it by five. And I mean it literally. I mean, and, and see how it feels. Now, be honest now. <laughs> Does it feel good? What, to have what I make right now multiplied by five? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it, you know, probably right. wouldn't make me much better of a person, but I would, I would be happy to have it at the same time. You know, absolutely. <laughs> and so, um, and not only I was heartless, and so I could be careless about what the KGB did to my people, but I was also paid for that too. And so I was a happy camper. I thought I arrived. And if I had some uh, moral uh, remorses about what I did for the KGB, I could always come up with a good excuse for uh, doing the wrongs. Uh, my best excuse, of course, being I have to provide for my family. And um, it was, in fact, my family which uh, set me up one day, big time. My daughter, uh, she was nine years of age at that moment. Uh, she came uh, back home from school. and. Uh, she said that she had made a new friend at school. And my daughter claimed that the father of the friend was a Christian missionary from the United States of America. <laughs> and I looked straight into her eyes and I said, you better be kidding, girl. I mean, think of it my way. Uh, she said that he was a Christian. And I was, of course, a member of the uh, Communist Party. So I was an atheist, therefore. 
I claimed that there was no God. Um, she said that he was a Christian a missionary, and I was, of course, a KGB agent. So in my eyes, all these missionaries were a spies, and I had to take care of those by profession. And uh, she said that he was a Christian missionary from the United States of uh, America. And that, of course, made it uh, even worse because I was a proud product of uh, the Soviet Union. So I thought we needed no help from the United States of uh, America. Thank you very much. So I got so disappointed with my own daughter that I didn't believe her. Instead, I went to her school and um, I talked with her teacher. Only uh, the teacher confirmed that um, there was, in fact, a couple from the United States of America. And the teacher also said that um, the couple was looking for a Russian tutor, which almost devastated me uh, rather because, as we say back in uh, Russia, up in heavens, everybody is going to speak the Russian language because it takes eternity to learn it. <laughs> and yes, we laugh at it now. Second time that we talked about that on this podcast. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but think of it. I mean, I was really concerned because I thought they were tourists. They would come and leave in two weeks, but not so. They apparently were there to stay. And that, of course, um, made me even uh, more concerned with the situation. Uh, uh, and of course, being a KGB agent, I decided I would investigate the case to then report it to my authorities. And I did uh, by recalling the fact that uh, Natasha, my wife, just happened to be a professional Russian as a language, as a second language instructor. She taught at a military uh, academia in Moscow where officers from uh, third world countries like Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, would come to get trained in military operations only to do so they would have to go through a very rigorous course on the Russian language by immersion a year-long course too uh, so that then they could take classes at the military academia in Russian and so my wife did that for a living and I of course utilized that to uh, my advantage I uh, made my wife teach the missionaries, and that gave me a chance to spy of the family. Now, I was a KGB agent undercover, so I made it uh, look completely innocent. I would just go there to their place, and um, I would just sit there pretending I was there to wait until my wife would get through with her lesson, to walk her back home, that is. Um, whereas I was, of course, there to observe and to listen to uh, what they were talking about. And frankly, all they talked about was God. Um, they played it smart. Um, I admit that um, they wanted my wife to use the Bible as uh, their textbook. And all they wanted to learn was how to say uh, the Lord in Russian and how to say, here comes Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away um, the sin of the world in Russian. And uh, how to say, and whosoever believeth on him will not perish, but have everlasting life in Russian. 
and soon about a half a year of just listening to that stuff, I got converted. Well, at least in my head, I gave God a chance to even exist, uh, which for me, a KGB agent uh, was, in fact, a huge step away from my atheistic uh, round. Um, only uh, the missionaries were not just talkative about God. They were also very pushy about God. At some point, uh, half a year down the road, uh, they pushed me in, into that praying business and uh, reading the Bible business. Um, they gave me a copy of the uh, New Testament in Russian, and they uh, made me read the Bible. I didn't want to blow my cover, and so um, I yielded. Uh, and of course, with the New Testament, I started with the Gospel of Matthew. That's all I had, so I decided I would do it from scratch. So I read the Gospel of Matthew through, and then uh, did the um, Gospel of Mark, and then uh, progressed to the Gospel of Luke. Only there I stopped, because I ran into a portion of the Gospel of Luke, the portion depicting uh, Jesus talking with uh, his disciples. And uh, among other things, Jesus tells them this. He says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to uh, your children, then how much more so will the Holy Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? And I was just dumbfounded right there, because that very moment, I realized that uh, Jesus knew me better than I thought. Uh, because the first part of uh, what Jesus was saying applied to me perfectly well. I mean, I knew I was an evil man, but I also knew how to give good gifts to my child. And that made me think. I was thinking, right, if the first part of what Jesus is saying applies to me this well, then what if the rest of what Jesus is saying applies to me as well? And basically, I put God to a test. I followed the guidelines of the scripture I just read, and I simply asked the Father of the Spirit. And bam, I looked up, and I saw the Lord. And I mean, I saw the Lord just as clearly as I'm seeing you now. And mind you, I wasn't a, a psycho. I was a KGB agent, um, hard-headed, uh, tough as a nail. Um, so this was not a mental image of a kind. I mean, this was the Lord. Um, the Lord was standing, and the Lord was uh, putting down the Holy Spirit right inside of me. Um, the Spirit felt like pure gold, only liquid. And I was filled up with the Holy Spirit of God all the way to the top. And that, of course, was my conversion by heart, because in my heart I knew Jesus was God. I saw him. Um, now I go back home, and my wife meets me in the door, and she says, what's wrong with you? I said, what's wrong with me, honey? And she said, uh, you're smiling. You see, I had never smiled before. Uh, she married me because her father, a KGB colonel himself, never smiled either. There was really nothing to smile about um, with the KGB. Well, apparently, Jesus made me smile that day without me realizing that. And uh, 
of course, my smile gave me away. And uh, since I was a baby in Christ, then I didn't find anything more suitable than uh, to tell my wife that I became a Christian now. Now, she, in turn, confessed to me that she had become a Christian <laughs> even earlier than I did, only she was scared to death to talk about it with her <laughs> husband, a KGB agent. And so there we were, I mean, two complete babies in Christ. Frankly, we had no idea what to do with it, none whatsoever. Uh, so uh, we decided we would uh, read a little bit more of the Bible. And because after all, we thought it was the Bible which got us all started on that track, which we did, only to find out that uh, those who accepted Jesus Christ in the Bible would then plant a church. Well, so be it, we said, and uh, we planted a church in Moscow, Russia, in 1991. And I was still a KGB agent undercover. Um, only then I had my third conversion. You see, I had three. One by head, one by heart, and one by guts. Uh, because one day I learned by my guts what um, the call of the Lord on my life was. And uh, the call was to replenish the lost, to replenish the lost, which uh, to me, a KGP agent, uh, translated into the need to replenish 200,000 ministers that the KGP executed and uh, plant 40,000 churches that uh, the KGP demolished. And of course, I had no idea how to uh, follow that call. All I knew, though, with my third conversion was that um, there was no way I could uh, keep both my faith and my job simultaneously uh, because they were in a, such a sheer contradiction with each other. So I decided I would uh, quit one or the other. Well, I couldn't quit my faith. I, I saw Jesus Christ with my own eyes. And I could not quit the KGB either because you don't quit the KGB just like that. In fact, in my days, there were two. And uh, two only reasons on the basis of which you could quit the KGB. You could uh, either go cuckoo or drop dead. And uh, frankly, none of the options I quite liked. So <laughs> I decided I'd wait. And I waited and I waited and I waited until an opportunity represented itself. You might actually remember those days, uh, Regan talking to Gorbachev, uh, tear down this wall, um, the glassness to perestroika. In those days, uh, Russia opened up uh, to the world, and a lot of Americans rushed right in um, with this idea of doing free enterprise. And Russians just loved the idea because it felt so uh, fresh, so new, uh, that uh, everybody in Russia decided he or she would uh, do a free enterprise. So. The push from within uh, the Russian society was so huge that uh, even the KGB had to respond to it. And they did by introducing yet the third reason, allowing KGB agents to uh, swap their jobs. The reason uh, being doing free enterprise. Only if you opted for that uh, reason, you had to prove that the free enterprise that you claimed you'd be doing would pay you better. Uh, than the KGB 
which of course, I mean, was a joke. I mean, everybody un understood that. That was rather a trick uh, designed to prevent uh, KGB agents from fleeing because nobody could beat the KGB on the money. There was just no way. Uh, but the Lord worked it out. Um, there was a man who accepted Jesus Christ at the uh, very church that we planted in Moscow. And so uh, he just happened to be the president of a company. Well, I shared my concern with him, and he, in return, wrote me a nice little letter on the letterhead of his company and everything. I mean, he signed it. Uh, it looked official. Basically, the uh, letter was uh, saying that um, the company was offering me a job much better paid than the KGB. And, of course, I knew just the number to quote. So with that letter, I went to the KGB, showed them the letter, and asked if they could beat the deal. And they couldn't. And so they let me go. And I never told them what I was actually doing. And I never worked for that um, company either. But for a couple of years, they were covering me with that letter um, until it became more or less uh, safe. I guess I went undercover once again. Um, and then they rather ruthlessly uh, fired me. And um, the church hired me on the spot. So I made my transition. And then, uh, of course, uh, comes One Mission Society and uh, plans the Moscow Evangelical Christian Seminary. And I knew on the spot it was it because I realized that through a seminary, you could actually multiply the effort. I mean, think of it. Uh, I could have probably planted um, another church and maybe yet another church in my lifespan. But through a seminary, you could train 30, 60, or 100 church planters uh, simultaneously to then send them forth to saturate uh, um, the form of Soviet Union with the knowledge, the presence, uh, and with the word of God. And so I became a student of the very first enrollment of the Moscow Seminary. There were 17 of us, and I was the only member of staff, too. Uh, so I was the secretary, the janitor, the dean of students, the bookkeeper too. Um, and then, of course, the seminary grew by leaps and bounds. Um, now we've grown to 554 full-time and 668 part-time uh, church planters, ministers. So I have a very good chance of uh, fulfilling the call of the Lord on my life within my lifespan. That's incredible, man. That is well, yeah, it, it, I, I would say that the best part of my testimony is that it is mine. It's not that I read about it or heard about it. I myself lived it. Yeah. Uh, it's beautiful. That's awesome. Man. That's so cool. Um, yeah, I, I hope that it, it definitely takes place in your lifetime. And that's not like a, you know, God's promise to Abraham that, you know, you will, you know, have many sons. <laughs> it's take, I don't want it to take forever. Let's do this thing soon, right? Um, well, right now it's going full fledged. I mean, think of it. Uh, you invest in a student, the student graduates, goes to some crazy Siberia and then plants a church. Well, in five to seven years, that church starts planting churches that's right. itself. Yeah. And so it, it multiplies the effort, really. Um, so, yeah, sure. It's great. Very cool. Um, and so like, I, and I don't want to like say anything that's going to like, or ask any questions that are going to be hard for you to answer. Like, 
I don't want to put you in a weird position or anything, but like, um, if you can answer this, is it tough being in your position in Russia? I mean, is that hard? It can be, yes. Yeah. The KGB comes, checks on you. Now they check on you uh, not because you uh, believe in a god, mm -hmm. uh, not because of your religious affiliation, but because um, Christianity has become a mass movement and any mass movement can potentially overthrow the government. Uh, well, I mean, take a look at the numbers. We started with about 17 students to the seminary, and nowadays we've got over 1,200. I mean, think of it. Uh, we started with one church, a Protestant church in Moscow, a city of 20 million people, and nowadays we have over 450 in Moscow only. Incredible. So Christianity is uh, spreading like fire. Uh, so, yes, it can be dangerous. You're all, always under scrutiny. And, but uh, did I mention KGB? Yeah, yeah, yeah. once or twice. Uh, yeah, know. yes. Well, I bet you the Lord had his hand on me when he decided to put me into uh, the position of the president and because the uh, Lord knew that I would not bend under. Um, the stress, the right? Stress. Let's say. Well, you know, the teen man, uh, heartless I was. Of course, the Lord gave me the heart. Uh, yeah. But certain features of a teen man they remained. Um, I can go forever without sleep, food. Uh, I'm better than the Energizer Bunny, um, <laughs> and I also know how to throw uh, the KGB of my tail if that's necessary. Yeah. And you play all kinds of tricks on them. It's almost that you've got a couple of kind of images from the Bible coming to mind here, you know, that that God chose Moses, an Egyptian, to go speak to the Egyptians, you know, to represent his people on behalf to the Egyptians. Uh, he, he chose, um, or, or I guess like uh, you were talking about how Russia kind of views um, Christianity as this growing thing, as it's this, this growing movement. It's sort of the the uh, the way that Rome viewed the early christians you know that it's like wait we got to keep these guys calm because if this if this grows it could be a problem well but you know how it ended up with rome that yes, Christianity had you know became the 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 the, the religion and uh, quite paradoxically so um russia and the former soviet union uh welcome uh christianity these days because christians uh, preach peace mm -hmm. and that's what government wants mm -hmm. the government does not want people to go and protest on the streets the government does not want people to rock the boat so preaching peace sure you're welcome the moscow seminary has a no and federal level license um, the license granted to the seminary by the ministry of education of russia uh, to train christian ministers and religious personnel for the church so we're legal and yeah. we're doing it by leaps and bounds. That's awesome, man. Sure. I mean, now, Russia, I mean, before the Soviet Union, before the rise of communism, um, was, was, wasn't was Russia, like, highly Eastern Orthodox? In, or yes. Like, well, that's Russian what I thought. Orthodox. Russian Orthodox, yeah. Yes. Uh, Russia had been uh, a Russian Orthodox country for a thousand years by that time. Uh, Christianity was brought to Russia from the Greeks by the Greeks in uh, 980. So it's been over a thousand years. 
the problem, of course, is that the Russian Orthodox Church suffered. Um, the KGB executed all the priests and demolished all the churches. Now, they were smart enough to keep a few in Moscow and Kiev and uh, in St. Petersburg intact uh, for tourists to come and think that we enjoyed freedom of religion. But even there, they would take the uh, cross off the top of the dome. And you could not buy a Bible, not even at church. The Bible was prohibited. Um, and so people go. People would go to a library and get a, a book on atheism, and they would find a quote from the scripture. And then, of course, the author of the book would go at length in trying to overcome the, the scripture. So believers would take scissors and cut out just the scripture and glue it to a little book, and that was their Bible. I mean, I saw those Bibles with my own eyes. So yeah, it really went uh, very wrong. And then now recovering. But the thing is, these days, every student of mine is a first-generation um, believer uh, right. because uh, Christianity had been wiped out uh, from the land. Three generations had passed, and uh, that just did it. There was no such a thing as some grandmother talking to some grandchild. It's, a, it's a very real fear of mine uh, that we'll have a situation like that here in the states i mean it's a very, it's a very I, I take no responsibility for the united states of america but for Russia, <laughs> yes i do i do i do i do that's fair that's sasha fair. you you've seen the church grow incredibly over the last 30 years in russia right why do you think uh, the church has grown like it has probably because it is from scratch uh it's all new it's all fresh and there is this void in you and you can only uh, feel the void with christ and since the whole nation uh, had been deprived from the gospels and no wonder then everybody just uh, takes it in yeah there's no tradition to bog you down no no particular way people no, are arguing no. about because it's not there <laughs> no it's just not there it's all uh it's not even like atheists it's uh, blank slates you go somewhere and you say Ten Commandments. Not only people don't know what Ten Commandments are, they don't know that the Ten Commandments are in the Bible. Wow. They've never had the Bible in their hands. I mean, what do you expect? So it's all from scratch. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that would be an easier place to build from, though. The problem here in the States is so many people know things about the Bible, but they don't understand the significance of the things that they've heard. They don't understand what the things mean. It's like it's an idea in their head, but it has no real meaning behind it for so many people. Well, I only uh, I only do the gospel in Russia, uh, yeah. Ukraine, Moldavia, Belarus, um, Lithuania, Estonia. You know uh, the Soviet Union. Oh no, I get you. I get you. So I, whenever, I guess you know. I'm sure you have problems, but. I guess I'm seeing a mirror is like, I, I'm a, I, I, I hope we never get to a point where we have to have a recovery is what I'm saying. But I'm super glad that you guys are making such leaps and bounds, planting these churches, making pastors. I mean, it's, it's hard learning the Bible and learning the Bible inside out. And to see that you guys are doing it with, in such efficient amounts of time, just like getting all these people inundated with scriptures. So cool. I think so. And of course, it's very profitable too, because it only takes me about $1,200 a year to train a minister in Russia. Well, think of it this way. How much would I pay if I sent um, the church planter to the States to study? 
Oh, it'd be crazy. Uh, it's crazy. I mean, you pay tuition, room and board, international travel, insurance, uh, everything. You're looking at at least 40000 probably a year. So compared to that, 1200 that I need is, what, 30 times better deal. You can but, train um, 30 pastors for that. Right, how, exactly. I can, I can train 30 pastors on that money. But the problem that, that I... Sorry, go ahead. The problem that I have with the idea of sending somebody to the States to study is that they don't come back. In fact, uh, mm-hmm. out of 10 sent to the U.S. to study, only one might come back. And so the investment gets lost. And so I, I would much rather have them trained for 30 times less and uh, 10 times more secure. Because they ain't going to go nowhere from Russia. They will be there carrying on with the gospel, even if the Iron Curtain comes back, which seems to be the case these days. Mm. And of course, those guys, gals, uh, they uh, don't need a, a passport. They don't need visa. They speak the most difficult language on the planet. And uh, they know the local culture. So they will be by far more effective than any missionary will ever be. Now, don't get me wrong. It took a missionary for me to get going. And it took a whole mission society, one mission society for the seminary to get going. But then uh, locals can do, if trained. And that's what the seminary provides. We train them and then send them forth and then they plant churches. You uh, you said uh, you were talking about how profitable it was um, versus sending someone to the States, just doing it uh, in Russia. Um, how does the seminary price stack up next to like university price in russia is it similar or is it vastly different uh it would be uh, probably 10 times less compared mm-hmm. to a university mm-hmm. uh, and there is a reason for that uh, these pastors are not going to be paid much sure. if anything sure. by the church for at least uh, the first five or six years until the church grows and so we basically want them to uh, study for free and then uh, minister for free. Mm-hmm. Now, in five to six years, the church will grow to the point uh, where uh, the church starts supporting the pastor. And the general rule uh, at church is that um, the pastor gets an average salary for the region. It would be more in Moscow. It would be less in Siberia. But that's the general rule. Okay. That's interesting. Um... So here's a random one. I hear you're quite the golfer. Uh, I can win or lose depending on the situation. <laughs> yes. That's fair. That's fair. I did a little bit of research. I saw I saw uh, some, some other website mentioning your golf, and I was like, hey, Randy, he golfs? <laughs> so... Well, no, no. Well, the golf for me is a means of evangelism, really. Yeah. Uh, for me, it all started at uh, the... Uh, of divinity of the University of St. Andrews where uh, the Moscow Seminary sent me to study because in those days there was no way you could uh, uh, get a degree in biblical studies in uh, Russia because everybody who knew anything about the Bible was executed by the KGB so you had to travel abroad so I went to uh, St. Andrews and of course you know St. Andrews I'm there studying together with Prince William the future king of England, wow. uh, Scotland, Ireland. Uh, uh, so you have all these royal visits from uh, the Westminster Abbey and the Buckingham Palace and the Downing Street. And on the top of that, um, the old course is there, of course. Um, and um, the old course is the mecca for all the golfers. 
uh, everybody wants to have this uh, once-in-a-lifetime old course experience. Uh, well, not everybody gets it because uh, there are just not enough tea times for everybody. And so guess who's playing? You know, all these presidents and chiefs and uh, sultans and prime ministers. And I'm looking at that thing and I'm, and I'm thinking, man, I mean, you can't have a five-minute appointment uh, with uh, these people at their workspace. Now, mind you, their workspace is more like the Kremlin or the White House, uh, the Buckingham Palace. But you can have about four hours of their undivided attention over the round of golf. And um, I'm well aware of the Moscow Country Club, the one and only, literally, uh, one golf club of the whole of Mother Russia. I mean, 11 time zones country, 6,000 miles by 4,000 miles. There is one golf club. So guess who's playing? Uh, that's a high clearance security playground for all these uh, shakers and movers of Russia, oligarchs, politicians. People come with bodyguards. The whole place is surrounded with a wall, barbed wire, beams, helicopter, police car, you know, cortexes of cars, uh, all this. Um, the driveway into the club is two and a half miles in the woods. Now that's a security measure to prevent an assassin from shooting a member. Because at that distance, you can't even with a sniper rifle, and um, the driveway into the club makes two sharp 90 degrees turns along the way. Now, that's a security measure, again, uh, to prevent your vehicle from gaining enough speed to go through the security checkpoint. And here I am at uh, St. Andrews uh, looking at this posh, 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 posh environment, and I'm thinking I must pick up this game to then go back uh, and evangelize at the Moscow Country Club. And that day, I get a letter in the mail, uh, the letter saying uh, that uh, the university wants me to have uh, some kind of a safety uh, valve, some kind of a way to get uh, the load of studies off my shoulders. And uh, they suggest sports. <laughs> and they believe the idea to the extent that they offer you to uh, teach you any game under the sun at that expense. I mean, you can choose uh, scuba diving or diving with a parachute to that matter. Well, of course, of course I chose golf. And so they gave me 15 uh, free uh, lessons on golf and a little card with which I could play the old course uh, itself every day of my life. Uh, and so I go back uh, to Russia, make it straight to uh, the Moscow Country Club and uh, present myself uh, for membership. Well, they give me this look and they say, well, sir, you need to understand something. This is not a private venture. You can't buy a membership here. This is a state club, the one and only. Um, so you have to be appointed by the state to become a member here. And for that, you uh, need to control either a seat in the parliament or a branch of economy. And you are? And I said, I'm, I'm a minister. And they said, I'm minister of what? And I said, I'm a church minister. So they gave me a good kick in the ear. Oh. And I went to the seminary only to find out that um, I had a visitor. And the visitor was in my office. And the visitor was some guy very high up on the hierarchical ladder, um, ladder in Russia. And 
So the guy is crying like a baby. And I said, man, what's wrong? And he said, well, my wife and I, we just learned that we can't have kids. Not now, not ever. And then you just, um, the number two call. I mean, my mom ran an orphanage. So I called my mom and asked if she could maybe help. Well, she said, son, you've got to be out of your mind. I mean, I ran an orphanage. You, you think I can help? And so I grabbed the family. We went to uh, the orphanage and they adopted a baby from the orphanage. And out of courtesy for that, he put me to the Moscow Country Club. <laughs> and to this day, I don't quite know how. Frankly, I don't want to know certain things. I probably better just left untouched. But here I am at the Moscow Country Club doing it full-fledged. I mean, I preach Christ, him crucified openly now. Um, it's very different from any church plant I've ever experienced in my life, but it's working. Uh, so all these oligarchs and all these politicians, oh, they're getting the gospel. Um, and of course, it helps me rather because uh, think of it, uh, the Moscow Seminary and the Moscow Country Club are different as uh, day and night. Uh, at the seminary, I'm the boss. Everybody is uh, poor and um, everybody knows Christ. But the uh, fruit of your labor is a few steps uh, remote from you. Um, you invest in a student, uh, the student uh, graduates and goes to some Siberia and plants a church. And you know it because they start sending you pictures like, this is my first baptism. Well, hallelujah, you know the church plant is underway. Uh, with the Moscow Country Club, so, well, first of all, I'm a nobody at the club. And, of course, uh, nobody is poor and nobody knows Christ. But the uh, fruit of your uh, labor is right in front of you. I mean, there is literally nothing that is blocking your way. And so uh, this is a good uh, old-fashioned style face-to-face uh, -face evangelism, which uh, helps me... Uh, keep my feet grounded on the gospel because it is so easy to become all puffed up about who you are. You know, mm -hmm. you're the doctor, you're the rector, this and that, and you forget the gospel. And it's all about the gospel, really. And of Love course, it. it comes with a, a fringe benefit of protection, too. You yes. know, most of <laughs> Sasha, this is great, man. Uh, this has been great just hearing you talk, tell your story. Um, do you have anything to add, Randy? Any thoughts? Well, I do have a thought. Why don't you talk to your church and all the churches around and make them support the Moscow Seminary at hey, twelve hundred dollars uh, You're, you're saying year. it in the right place right now. Will well, we? hey, we will report to you on your investments too, because uh, we ask our students to write uh, letters to the donor. We mm -hmm. translate the letter. We supplement uh, the letter with the uh, pictures of him, uh, her ministry. And then we sent the letter to the donor. So you will know uh, what the return on your investment is. And uh, how much so would it take? How much would it take to support a student in seminary? Oh, you can do it like right now. Write a check and make it to One Mission Society. Put uh, 301710 Moscow Seminary in the memo line and, put, and send it to um, PO Box A. Uh, Greenwoods, Indiana, 46142. You can do it like right now. You will get your 501c3 receipt. We get the money, train of cheating. $1,200 uh, uh, supports a seminary for one year, $100 a month. With uh, one, one student. Right, one student at the seminary, yes. Wow. That's incredible. Well, do it now. I mean, that's great.
uh, the window of opportunity may not stay open uh, for very long. So we need to saturate the land with the word of God. Very and we can if um, we get the support. Awesome. Yes, if you are hearing this right now, and the Lord so calls you, <laughs> make it happen, right. people. Again, $1,200 a year, all tax deductible. Uh, you make uh, your check payable to One Mission Society. You put uh, 301710 Moscow Seminary in the memo line, and uh, you send the check to One Mission Society, PO Box A, Greenwood, Indiana, 46142. That Excellent. will do it. Awesome. Do you have anything else for us, Sasha? I have a lot. But... Oh. <laughs> certain, certain things I will probably keep to just myself. That's uh, fair. That's fair. As we used to say in the KGB, the lesser you know, the better you sleep. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Sasha. It's been awesome thank talking you. with you. And thank uh, you for we just. Me appreciate everything you're doing um, all the time and effort you pour into making ministers and planning churches. It is needed. We need more of that in the kingdom. And thank you so much for that. And uh, to everybody listening, uh, give us a like, give us a subscribe or whatever you're listening on, share this up. And uh, until next time, stay salty. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name is Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.